The Athletic. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, Sevilla Roma, we count down to the Europa League final in Budapest. We point out why you shouldn't bill for milk bottles when Dortmund are involved. We check out a Champions League in prospect with Lens, Union Berlin and Real Sociedad. And we hear about why Busquets out and the builders are in at Barca. All that and much, much more in this Totally Football Show. Hey, listen, it's May the 30th. Woo! And here in the studio, we've got James Horncastle. Hi, James. Hello, James. Alvaro Romeo's here with us. Hello. Hello, Hello, Alvaro. And also Raphael Honigstein. Hello. Hi, Rafa. Julian Laurent, not so much, although he will be with us a little bit later on. Oh, I forgot to ask his moment of the weekend. I forgot to ask his moment of the weekend. Hey, Jimbo, it's... uh, I mean, I can it's do PSG. two of the weekend yeah, for him. Yeah, nice. Well, you might just have mm. to. Wow. Because it was an exceptionally busy weekend in Germany. Bundesliga's... I mean, have more than two, uh, really. Einstein's five. Is that right? No. Not really. <laughs> okay. What a weekend in Germany. Good week, uh, this, for renting uh, available open-top buses in Dortmund, of course. But, uh, I don't know, maybe they had just to take it down the road to Munich and uh, use it there. I'm referencing the extraordinary finale in the Bundesliga that we'll get onto very, very shortly. Alvaro, how was your weekend? It was very good. Many things happened in La Liga. Did they? Mm, it was, yeah. Uh, we know pretty much everything, but who goes to the Conference League? And mm. We know that Espanol is going down. Okay. But there are still six teams that six can teams. go down. It's incredible. There could be a draw to in 41 points mm. between five clubs. Wow. If that happens, Celta will go down because you know that the head-to-head is what matters. Uh-huh. So yeah, it's going to be really exciting. It's going to be fantastic. It's the most exciting relegation battle in Europe, I, I would say. And the, the most exciting I, I can remember of, I can, I can think really? of. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, imagine if you're a, a, a fan of one of those clubs, nail-biting. James, in Italy, it's just two clubs who are level on points. We're going to yeah. find out this coming weekend if it's Spezia or Verona, although maybe we won't. No, because we could have a relegation playout for That's the first so time since 2005. It was a rule that was brought back by Serie at the beginning of this season. And I don't know how probable this was, um, but it's going to happen the first time that they brought it back. Um, it was Bologna against Parma mm. back in 2005. Parma went down. And now it's very much Verona and Spezia, which it feels like rather than one of them suddenly hitting form and having momentum, both just keep losing or keep conceding stoppage time goals. Morale for both teams, I think, is on the floor. Right. And the season that they just want to end could be prolonged by this relegation playout. Painful. Interesting, they actually played a relegation playout. I can't remember how long it was ago, maybe a decade or so ago, when Verona lost and went to the third division. Oh. And so there is a precedent of a relegation playout for Verona Spezia. And... I think either before or after that game, it must have been after the Verona Ultras, uh, rather macabrely, if that's a word, um, made a cemetery essentially for all the players and the people involved. Um, Does sound quite macabre. Very, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, let's hope that doesn't happen again. Mm. 
Calcio is back. Relegation playoff is back. <laughs> it is. Very nice. Okay. <laughs> Moment of the weekend is back. Rafa. I have too many to choose from this time, James. I, I don't know where to start. Right. I don't know where to end. I guess it has to be the title decider. Is that a moment of the weekend? It was a moment of the weekend, yeah. Jamal Musiala's 89th-minute okay. goal. But then you might also take Sebastian Allaire's missed penalty mm. as the decisive moment. Um, Musiala sealed the deal. How about, how about we park that story and come to it? in all its glory very shortly and talk about the uh, moment when the Hamburg fans yeah. invaded the pitch to celebrate promotion to the top flight again. Except... Yeah, yeah. Uh, the stadium announcer said, that's it, you're up, you're going up, congratulations. Uh, they were playing away to Sandhausen and they were going up directly, courtesy of that 1-0 win, while Heidenheim were 2-1 down mm. away to Regensburg, uh, deep in injury time. And they thought the game was up. And then Heidenheim scored the equaliser in the 93rd minute. And then in the 98th minute, they scored a winner, which put Hamburg back into third spot, which means another relegation playoff. They're okay. third in oh, a so row. they still have a chance. Yeah, they're third in a row. Right. They've lost the two previous ones. And it does feel like a almighty come down how do you say in german what's the the idiom for don't count your chickens before they're hatched uh, man soll nicht den tag vor dem abend loben and what does that mean don't praise the day before the evening okay right applicable to people making those borussia dortmund meister uh, t-shirts t-shirts yeah. yeah all right we'll come on to that very shortly alvaro what was your moment of the weekend uh, let me tell you that in spanish we say El Cuento de la Lechera, which is the Milkman Tale. I don't know. Bill. If, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this is uh, something that you would say in England too. The Milkman's Bill. The Milkman. Yeah, maybe it is like that. So uh -huh. basically it is the Milkman is doing the... He's on accountancy about uh, how much money he's going to make selling milk that day. And suddenly all the milk bottles fall and no revenue is made. Ah, ah okay. Right, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. So he's already banked Don't the cash. Don't count your milk bottles until before, they're sold. Yeah, yeah. until they're is, is that the English saying? No. Oh, okay. No, but that's the <laughs> okay. concept. It's the same concept, yeah. yeah I wonder what, what incident sparked that story. Yeah. In Italy, James? Non dire gatto ah. se non ce l'hai nel sacco. Yeah, don't say cat until you've got one in the bag. <laughs> what were they doing with cats in the bag? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, wow. Oh, you remember the French, weekend. Sorry, Alvaro. French, though. Oh, well, we don't have Jules with mm. us. Jules. You can only uh, imagine what idioms he has. Mm. There, there are so, so many moments <laughs> of the weekend that I'm still thinking about what to say. Mm. But I'm going to stay with the most positive one, which is Real Sociedad qualifying for the Champions League for the next season. So uh, they, magnanimous as an athletic fan. It is. Yes. It doesn't even hurt anymore. That, that's the thing. Since they beat us in the cup final, they've been much better than us. Um, for a couple of seasons now. And, you know, they qualified for the Champions League after losing at Wanda Metropolitano, but Villarreal lost against Rayo as well, and Real Sociedad is back in the Champions League. And, you know, they are a side that they keep on improving year after year with many academy players. I think that they've got 39,000 seats a ground, and they've got 38,000 season ticket holders. So the backing of the city is there behind them. And they qualify for the Champions League after doing a fantastic season, and they deserve to, to be fourth. Okay. Uh, il ne faut pas vendre le peu d'or avant l'avoir tué. 
voiture. I believe you. La voiture, <laughs> the car. No, no. Uh, <laughs> that's right, listener. That means don't sell the skin of the bear before you've killed it. Ah, we have that one in Spanish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No vendas la piel del oso antes de haberlo cazado. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same one. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Uh, James, your moment of the weekend. <laughs> I think it's Marco Baroni, the Lecce coach, who, you know, was in the Napoli team that last won the Scudetto before this one in 1990. But he kept Lecce up. He got them into Serie A uh, mm. last summer. And it was quite good for him because he's often brought teams up like Benevento only to be sacked because they lost every game and stuff like that. Uh, and he kept Lecce up. He sunk to his knees. It was in stoppage time. Lorenzo Colombo, the striker on loan from Milan, scored a penalty against Monza, the uh, newly promoted team par excellence. And uh, Baroni, yeah, sunk to his knees and uh, cried and said uh, all he could think about was his father who'd passed away in May. Mm. And great job by Lecce, uh, considering that uh, they have the youngest team in Serie A. They've got the lowest wage bill uh, in Serie A as well. Uh, and Pantaleo Corvino as their sporting director, one of the great sporting directors. And it, it just, again, underlines this feeling that the south of Italy is rising up again, you know, with Napoli winning uh, the league, Bari possibly coming up via the uh, promotion playoffs as well. Uh, Palermo have been taken over by City Football Group, although they missed the playoffs in, in Serie B. But there is a feeling that, um, you know, even at the top of Serie A, for example, you'd say the Centro Sud, which is Napoli number one and Lazio at the moment second, it feels like there is a bit of a power shift away from the north. Mm, in, interesting. Uh, at least domestically. Hmm. That's a, a Quentin Lecce as well, isn't it? <laughs> Very much. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Oh, yeah. The milkman. Uh, let's get on to the Bundesliga title decider. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. <laughs> Und der Ball ist auch drin. 2 zu 0 für Mainz. Durch die 9. Karim Onesi. All right, Rafa. So, the scene Saturday with Signal Duna Park. 80,000 fans standing silent while a manager weeps. Dortmund had been two points clear and facing Mainz, who had nothing to play for. Bayern were at Köln, resigned to their fate, I think, of finishing runners up. What happened? What happened was that Bayern took an eighth-minute lead, which I think suddenly brought the, the magnitude of Dortmund's challenge sharp into focus. Yes, they knew they had to win. Yes, they knew that probably Bayern might win. But immediately before they had even started knowing, oh no, Bayern already won it up, I think it put extra pressure on them. But they've won 11 straight games. Mm. and At this- home. At home, sorry. Mainz had lost four in a row, conceding three in each of those four games. Yes, yes. Yeah, the scene was set. (laughs) Everything (laughs) seemed to be set. Yes, for Dortmund. (laughs) But, as I was trying to explain, on the day, things in both stadiums really deviated from the script quite quickly. Right. Especially with that early lead from Bayern. Dortmund playing quite poorly. Then the first attack that Mainz muster mm-hmm. results in a goal from a corner. Right. 
now you're suddenly chasing the game even more. And then you have a penalty to come back quite quickly and you miss. So I think with all, with all these things happening in quick succession, Dortmund got to a point where they're thinking this is what is happening here. And they never really recovered until late on in the second half when they finally calmed down a bit, got going, had chances and of course scored an equaliser. I believe if the game had gone on for another 10 minutes or right. so, they would have probably found the winner. But they messed up the first half spe specifically. Their XG in the game was kind of close Four to... Four and something. Yeah, if yeah you, I think if you include the penalty, which most people don't, but still, it is very high. Yeah. So... Bayern took the lead in the eighth minute away to Cologne. But even so, I mean, we were talking last week about the fact that that was now Dortmund's title. And I think we threw in a quick comment, oh, but it's Dortmund, you never know. But yeah, even in, I mean, in Munich, they can't have thought this was going to happen. I mean, Thomas Müller did a, a very funny video on Saturday, or I think released it on Friday, where he was saying, uh, first to the Bayern fans, you know, we have to keep believing and this is not over yet. Then he was saying, you know, in Dortmund, uh, with the pressure of actually having to win and uh, the atmosphere in the ground and 25,000 people in the yellow wall with expecting the win, it's not, it's not that easy, you know, to, to deal with that kind of pressure. And I don't know if any Dortmund player watched it. I'm not sure that Müller himself believed it. But it was one of those Dortmund moments. And they really... For once, I think the expression is is that they they froze, they right. they really choked in that in that first half. They they lost their heads. They didn't play their own football, and Bayern <laughs> narrowly took advantage because for a while it looked as they might actually stumble because they conceded an equalizer right, with ten minutes to go. Minute, right? Yeah, seventy nine. I think. Okay. Ten minutes to go. Mm -hmm. They conceded an equalizer. An equalizer meant that Dortmund didn't matter what they did. Because Dortmund had gone 2-0 down. In between the two um, mind scores, there'd been the penalty, which mm -hmm. Alea missed. What kind of a miss was that? It was a very poor penalty. Mm. He didn't look happy, didn't look comfortable, which is ironic because he actually took the ball off Emre Chan, who'd scored the last five, and felt very comfortable, apparently, taking it, but then really didn't look it. And it was a weak penalty. It was a good save. And... I think that really brought the horror scenario to Dortmund's minds even, yeah, more, uh, made it more visible, if you will. And then that second goal from what was Mainz's second attack of the game uh, really made things very difficult. But as I said, for a while it looked as if it didn't actually matter, as if they had a reprieve because Köln scored an equalizer and Bayern did that thing in the second half, which they've done so often this season. After taking the lead and being in control and having more chances, they they kind of lost their way and Köln looked good and Köln had chances and the equaliser didn't come out of thin air even though it was another poor penalty to give away Bayern's 10th of the season, a new record, which shows you that they haven't been quite focused enough uh, defensively. So for eight minutes or so, Dortmund were champions because Bayern weren't winning. But then Thomas Tuchel had a bit of a brainwave and guts, mm -hmm. because he substituted Leon Goretzka, had only just come on 30 minutes earlier, and put Jamal Musiala on. Ooh. And then Musiala scored a fantastic individual goal with wonderful close control to give Bayern Munich the title. Musiala, Musiala, Tor, Tor, 
Tor! Tor! Tor für die Bayern! Extraordinary. And they immediately fired half the board. They, yeah. The news broke a minute after the final whistle. You're kidding. It already been decided a couple of days before, but uh, they had decided that they didn't want to make it public before. They wanted to only uh, wait afterwards. They couldn't, it couldn't, didn't hold any much longer. The official confirmation then came in, I think 30 minutes or so later, but it broke, which took the Bayern players by surprise. They thought, what, really? A minute after we've just won this incredible title, you're telling me that Khan and Sadi Hamidic are fired. But Bayern felt it was the better way to do that rather than to keep them sort of hanging on, knowing that they would be fired on right. Tuesday. Were they were they there at Concolum with the players? Sadi Hamidic was there right. because he reacted magnanimously to his dismission, the mission. He said, okay, fine. I understand. I always want to be on friendly terms with with the board and with Bayern. I still want to go and celebrate with the team. Oliver Kahn reacted less happily, and after uh, that lively discussion, he was advised or told to stay home, which created intrigue before the game had started because people are looking around and where's Oliver Kahn? There was a briefing by Bayern saying, "Oh, he's he's home because he's got the flu." Mm. which when he heard that, he contradicted the board with a tweet saying, um, people have told me to stay away. Then there was another briefing saying he's probably referring to the doctor. And he said, oh, no, no. He changed his tweet and said, the club told me to right. stay away. And then he later also said that it was the worst moment of his life, not being allowed to to celebrate with the team. So it did leave a pretty... Nasty taste, mm. but I'm not sure the players care that much because they didn't have that strong a relationship. Certainly with Oliver Kahn, Hassan Salihamidzic did have some players who liked him very much, but others didn't, and it didn't, I think, interfere with their parting. But again, it in a way is a fitting finale from what was a pretty, yeah, um, what's the word? Not unseen, but there's another word. Unsavory uh, scenes. Unsavory, yeah. No, no, no. Pretty unsavory season uh, in terms of Bayern's communication right. and, and big moves. To almost let Dortmund win it. Rafi, historically speaking, where does the drama of this final day rank? Because I'm sure for James, it's the same. It felt very like Il Cinque Maggio, which is May 5th, 2002, when Inter go to Lazio. They're twinned with Lazio. So even the Lazio ultras open up the Curva Nord and have the Interistian because Duncan it's be Alexander their big was party. there that day. We talked about this on, on, on Thursday and he, his neighbour was throwing, it was a Lazio fan, throwing seats to discuss <laughs> the fact that Lazio were winning the game. So Inter, it was all set up. The scene was really set. They lost. Juventus won in Udine and won the title on the final day. And it's probably the most celebrated. Juventus title is one of the most famous final day moments in Serie A history. So is this number one in the Bundesliga now? or It's up there. Certainly it's the biggest one in 20 years. Before that you had 2001, 2001 the famous last minute free kick from Bayern that went in. Schalke thought they were champions, a little bit like Hamburg for four minutes. They were celebrating, there was a pitch invasion. Then somebody told them, oh, hold on, the game is still going. And then to make matters worse, they beamed the game onto the stadium screen and they watched 
Bayern scored the equaliser that took the title away from them again. The year before, Leverkusen went to Unterhaching and lost there. Uh, the famous Leverkusen team that two years later would would finish runners up in, in in all competitions. Was that to Bayern that Bayern won at the expense of Leverkusen? Yes. So it's always Bayern. It's been Bayern in those two occasions. Dortmund themselves came back from third position to win the title in 2002, but it wasn't quite as dramatic as this one. So certainly in modern times, this belongs to the on the shortlist. Dortmund winning a title, that, that feels like a long time ago because in recent times, a lot of people will, will have an idea of Dortmund as a, a club that just cannot be trusted with opportunities. Serial... Is this the most Dortmund moment ever of this Dortmund? Yes, you have to say that because they had the chance and they only, in inverted commas, needed to beat Mainz at home. Right. At the same time, and the you see now with a couple of days having gone by that Dortmund are beginning to realise, yes, of course, we could have won it. But if you look at it closely, we didn't actually lose it on the last day of the season. We lost it when we played a really bad first right. half of the season because you cannot really expect to win the league with 71 points. It's a, it's a miracle mm. that it was nearly enough. It was a miracle that 73 points would have been enough if they'd won. But really, 34 games, you need to sort of go into the high 70s, the 80s to have a realistic chance. It's only because Bayern played their worst season more than 10 years mm. that Dortmund were anywhere near but they, by their own standards, I think would actually say, you know what, in a strange way, we still have underachieved because our results just weren't very good in the first half when Sebastian Allaire wasn't around. Right. It was magnificent to see the Dortmund fans at the end, despite the huge disappointment, applauding the players and, and, and Terzic, who was in, in tears there. Yeah, and singing the, the club anthem. Uh, while, while Terzic was crying. It was very moving. What, because what's that? Whoops, I've done it again. <laughs> no. They, it was moving because the Dortmund fans realised how much the players hurt and how much the players hurt, not because of them, but because they wanted to make the fans happy, especially Terzic being a former ultra, well, being a former regular on the yellow wall for sure, which is why we didn't see any recriminations or anger. There was just this shared pain and this communal outpouring of, of sorrow. Mm. Well, elsewhere on the final weekend of the Bundesliga, Schalke went down. We talked about who's coming up. There's a promotion playoff still to come as well. Union Berlin sealed their top four spot. Freiburg missing out after faltering in Frankfurt. How are Union going to do in the Champions League, do you think? Well, I hope that they'll be allowed to play at home because it's down to whether UEFA will persist with the experiment of standing terraces. It won't be able to... Uh, convert the stadium into into all seaters uh, if you if I change their mind again I hope that they can play there because it is such a special atmosphere and I think one or two of the bigger clubs will, will have not experienced the ground like that in in many many years mm. and with the floodlights and that special atmosphere maybe they they can do well it'll be amazing they played out the Champions League anthem after the final whistle already and the crowd were going wild and if you consider, and I think this needs to be said again, that they were only promoted for the first time ever in 2019. And since then, they have stayed up in the yep. first full season, then qualified for the Conference League, then qualified for the Europa League, and have now qualified for the Champions League. So this is not just 
you know, a team that has one good season, they've been overachieving now for five seasons straight. If you include the promotion, well, if you can take it back even longer, around the time that Dortmund were winning that remarkable three-way uh, title chase, they were in the fifth tier. Uh, Union Berlin 18 years ago so a little bit more recently than that but still that's just a remarkable rise yeah it's incredible and this is all done without an owner without somebody saying you know I like Union Berlin it's going to make for a great sports washing story mm. uh, put the money in no um, they've the power had, of the union they've had they've had a little bit of help when they were nearly bankrupt by somebody who bought um, a part of the TV rights and gave him a couple of million. I mean, n nothing serious. Uh, but since then, they've just been growing organically and just making smart decisions. Magnificent. I think it's the first time in the history of the Champions League as well that the top five leagues will have teams from the capitals of their country Ooh. all competing in next year's competition. So you've got Union, you've got obviously Paris Saint-Germain, you've got Lazio, and you're probably... Roma, Atleti and Madrid, <laughs> and Arsenal. So, you know, it's Incredible. nice if you like doing, you know, little city hopping. Well, someone who, uh, someone who spends his time <laughs> traveling from Euro game to Euro game. We're talking about your next stop, Budapest for Sevilla Roma very, very shortly. Next up, many thanks for that, uh, Rafa. Uh, let's quickly touch on the capital of Portugal. And then hear from Julian Laurent. Why? <laughs> this is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. With Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL, and around the world. So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners and whether there'll be a red card, then use BetBuilder from LiveScoreBet to make up to six selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre-built QuickBet options. BetBuilder from LiveScoreBet. Building a bet just got easier. Find out more at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScoreBet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Joga para o interior desta para Rafa Silva. Novamente à direita, Alexander Bacruzamento. All right, Benfica won the title in Portugal. It's a record 38th time. What's the coach called? What? No, okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the coach's name is Hoger Schmidt. No. What's it? Come on. Roger. Roger Schmidt. Roger. Roger Schmidt. Is he Rogue One? He is. Yeah. yeah. He Rogue, Rogue One. That's, That's nice. It. That's your it. intro. Uh, yeah, 3-0 win at home to bottom of the table, Santa Clara. Got the job done. Nice. Very good. Now, in France, Paris Saint-Germain are officially champions for a record 11th time. And joining us, lo and behold, it's Julien Laurent. 
Jules, the Paris Saint-Germain story is legitimately very, very thrilling. And I'm sure there are questions that we're going to ask you about that. But can we start with Lens and how exciting it is that they are going to be in the Champions League alongside such maverick clubs as Newcastle and Union Berlin next season? It's incredible, James, really. An, an amazing achievement. We've mentioned them a few times on the show, but to see them seal that qualification on Saturday night after the, the 3-0 win against Ajaccio was amazing. The atmosphere at the Stade Bollard was incredible. They, they are, with, with the Marseille and the PSG fans, the best fans in the country. And I think they deserve everything that's happening to them. Three years ago, they were in the second division, getting promotion. And then they finished seventh, seventh, and now second this season. Frank Hayes, the manager, is doing an incredible job. He's one of those up-and-coming, not so young manager because he's 52, but you know he's only been coaching really the A first team. This is his first job for three and a half years. Before that, he was either an assistant or youth team coach or head of academy, that kind of stuff. But as a proper manager, this is really the first experience and he's taken this team so, so far. They're playing great football. I've said before, and I, st I, I still think it's the case, this, they were the best team in the league. The most entertaining team to watch, the, the strongest collective, more than PSG by far, more than Marseille even, who were quite similar to them in many respects. But they had an incredible season. The best goalkeeper in the league in Brice Samba, one of the best strikers in, in Luis Opanda, who scored 20 goals so far this season with one more game to play. So amazing, amazing achievement and great story from them because they, they used to be in the Champions League a very long time ago for Arsenal fans. They might remember facing Lance at Wembley at the time. And it's been a very long drought for them that finally has come to an end. What kind of dent do you think they're going to make in the Champions League next season? It's a really good question, James. I would love them to go into next season with the same squad and maybe even strengthening a little bit. The mm. problem is a lot of bigger clubs than Lens or certainly better clubs than Lens are already thinking and looking at some of their best players. So Openda that we mentioned, I think Milan are very keen. Donso, the centre-back from Austria, who is very strong, very, one of the best centre-backs in the league. Again, as, as a lot of interest from other clubs, it's the same with Seko Fofana, it's the same with Frankowski, the same with Samba, same with Medina. So maybe some departures are inevitable, maybe because we've seen it so many times and we even see with clubs like Napoli for example who might mm. lose a couple of key players so it's not just Lens or just in France it would be a shame if, if they lose some of those key players but if they can keep most of that squad together if not the whole squad then I think they could be really really good next season because they, they're tricky to play against it's a 3-5-2 or 3-4-3 three, three formation that works really well very well drilled with a lot of energy a great press especially the high press so it's it's re it would be really interesting. I just fear that, unfortunately for them, they might lose a couple of really, really important players. Mm. Hey, speaking of losing a player, uh, the team they were facing last weekend, Ajaccio, uh, after the 3-0 defeat suffered at the hand of Lens, uh, drove off, leaving a teenage striker behind. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they forgot him, to be fair. Doing it's a just... David Cameron, it's known as. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've, we've mentioned last week that uh, there was some beef with the fans, if you remember, and the players' families. It's been a very toxic season for Ajaccio, pretty much from start to finish. Um, I just hope that at least they, they paid for, you know, for that young striker to either come home or maybe stay over in Lens somewhere and then mm. you know, catch the next train the next day. But They yeah. didn't come back for him? No, I think they came back for him. I was only joking. Oh, but yeah, okay. it's still not a good look, to be fair. Not a great look. Now, Paris Saint-Germain champions... 
Uh, there's one more week of the season to go and still one relegation place to be sorted out between uh, Nantes and Auxerre. Currently, Auxerre are two points ahead of Nantes in that particular duel. But Paris Saint-Germain, has the planning already begun for next season and what big changes can we expect, Jules? Yes, you're right, James. So 11th title, as you said, and like Kylian Mbappé said on, on Sunday night after being voted player of the season, it's not something that we should normalise. It's still a big achievement because they, they've become the, the club with the most Ligue 1 title, like top flight titles in, in France. The thing is, um, it's been an underwhelming season. We've said that through the whole season with a lot of lows and some highs, but a lot of lows, a lot of issues off the pitch, on the pitch as well. Problem with the Marseille guy and stuff like that. Um, they have more points than last season, more points than two seasons ago, three seasons ago, and that's with one more game to be played. So they can reach 88 points. However, mm. that second half of the season since January 1st feels really average. And I think that's why the title was not really over-celebrated. Neymar was not even there. He didn't even show up. He was in Monaco for the Grand Prix. Could not care less about PSG winning the title on Saturday night in Strasbourg when the other injured players were all there. Hakimi, Nuno Mendes, Kimpembe. The only one missing was Neymar. But they're already looking at next season. Um, Marco Asensio, for example, from Real Madrid, is a player that um, we broke the story on Friday night. They're really keen on. Mm -hmm. uh, players like Ugarte, for example, for our Portuguese fans or Porto fans who follow, the, follow our show, is also quite high on their list. So they're already looking at strengthening. Lucas Hernandez from Bayern is another player that they really, really like. So already quite early, they're putting in place what they would want to do on the transfer market. But the big question is, who's going to be the manager? We know that Galtier is not going to be there. He says that he deserves to be there, but that, that doesn't mean anything. So let's see who comes next after him. And then we'll have maybe a better idea of what kind of football we will see next season, what kind of profile they will look to, to bring into the, 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 the squad, the team, to satisfy the new coach. So all of that is still to come. It'll be a very busy summer. All right, Jules. Anything else you want to add before we sign off for Ligue 1 for this week? As you just mentioned earlier, Nantes or Auxerre will go down. Mm. It will all be down to the last game of the season. But, but the weekend was very, very emotional in Lyon because that was the last home game for Lyon this season against Reims. They won 3 0 Alexandre Lacazette scored another goal. He's up to 27 in the league. It's amazing. But it was also the farewell of Jean-Michel Olas, the, um, the forever president and owner of Lyon, who is not anymore neither the owner, neither the president, uh, who was given an amazing goodbye, really, by the fans, the ultras. He was... He went into the ultra, the stand of the ultras and celebrated uh, the second goal of the team like, like crazy. Um, they had a big banner for him, a big choreography for him. 36 years, he really took this club when they were mid-table in the second division and brought it all the way uh, to the top in men's football and women's football. What he did for women's football is incredible as well. So he deserved uh, an amazing farewell and he got that on Saturday. So, you know, good luck to, to Jean-Michel for the rest of his life and career now. Uh, and well done, I think, at Lyon, especially from the fans, to have given him such a, such a very, very intense and moving goodbye. Indeed. Jules, he, he made Lyon PSG before PSG were PSG almost, no? What was it, seven <laughs> yeah. titles in a row? Seven in a row. That which would never be equaled or beaten. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gamblerware.org. Who's excited about Wednesday night in Budapest? I am. Yeah, yeah me too. too. Yeah. yeah, it's Sevilla Roma, of course. It's the Europa League final. And uh, well, James, you're going to be going along. Yeah, first mm-hmm. time in Budapest. Looking forward to. Is it. that right? You don't mm-hmm. been to Budapest? No. Puskas Arena. Yeah. New stadium. Tick off. Yeah. Nice Free one. flowing football. Oh yeah. <laughs> Rafa's <laughs> favourite. I'm surprised Rafa's not coming along just because he so enjoyed the semi-finals and thought. I want more of that instead. No. All right. Well, so now Roma prepared for this by, in their usual fashion, by losing a game in Syria. <laughs> uh, seven, seven games now without a win. So it, Jose's really pushed all his chips in on this, this final. And the news, at least in the papers today, was positive in terms of the players available. Yeah, I mean, for the game against Fiorentina, yeah, they took the lead and then they lost late on. It was a much-changed side that uh, Jose put out, which kind of really marked his cards because he wants their best players to be fit and ready. So he left Paolo Dybala, Lorenzo Pellegrini and uh, Leonardo Spinazzola in Trigoria, the uh, training ground for where Roma play. And, I mean, there's still some doubts around Dybala, whether he will start, whether he's just got 15 or 20 minutes in his legs. Mm. Um, they're hoping he can start training uh, today um, and see, because, you know, it's a different team when Dybala plays. But, you know, I think this is all set up now to be Jose's triumphant farewell because he's suspended, I think, for their final game in Serie A. Mm. So for five yellow cards <laughs> again. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so he won't be there against Spezia, although I imagine he probably will be there. Mm. Um, but this is the way to go out on another high um, because, you know, a year ago they obviously won the Conference League in Tirana and now they have the chance to win the Europa League and qualify for the Champions League that way. And, you know, I think it's already been a qualified success, Mourinho's spell in Rome. And it's just weird how, you know, Roma, for example, at the beginning of the last decade, they were the team that would often be challenging Juventus and they would often be finishing second and third. You know, the team that was making a Dortmund of it, if you like, in Serie A, was Roma and Napoli, whilst the Milan clubs were sorting themselves out. And now Roma have kind of stopped qualifying for the Champions League via the league, but they've got better in Europe in that time and it's quite weird um, and so ever since the Roman Tarda uh, against Barcelona in 2018 when they reached the Champions League semi-finals they've now reached four European semi-finals in five years only Real Madrid have reached as many now of course Real Madrid have done all of those in the Champions League whereas Roma have done it Champions League Europa League twice Conference League um, but the club has developed a European mentality maybe not one to match Sevilla because Sevilla 
own this competition, mm. but it's a reason why you know Romanisti go into these games now no longer with that kind of we are Roma, we are Spursy, we are Dortmundy kind of feeling. So for that reason, there is some optimism. What, what kind of feeling is Sevilla going into this game after the brilliant second half of the, of the season they've been having? It's been a very good second half of the season, but Sevilla had a very eventful campaign as well. Uh, it all started with Lopetegui, then Sampaoli, who wasn't wanted, then Mendilivar, who arrived and uh, gave the players like uh, another reason to believe that they could actually compete again in the important games. And Sevilla has done it. I think that uh, in the build-up uh, of the game against Juventus, Sevilla fans were very confident. We're going to beat Juventus, we're going to beat Juventus. I spent the weekend with some Sevilla fans and they knew that. They did it. It wasn't easy, but they did it. Now against Roma, I think they should be worried of the fact that uh, Jose Mourinho prepares the finals very well as well. He hasn't lost the European final in spring. I would like to say this, in spring. He has never lost one because then he has lost a few European Super Cups okay. in summer with Manchester United. He lost it against Real Madrid. He lost another one with uh, Chelsea against Bayern. But uh, he prepares the finals very well. And uh, Roma in the Europa League this season, they have, had, uh, they have conceded only three goals in eight games in, their, in the knockouts. Uh, if you check Roma's numbers in the Serie A, they don't correspond to Roma's numbers in mm. the Europa League. Not at all. It's Mourinho is very good preparing no maybe i don't know but Mourinho is very good preparing these individual individual games in fact uh, i've got a crazy stat here but the last player who scored against Mourinho in a final in a spring a european final was a man who is 51 years old now henrik larsson really yeah in 2003 yeah wow. Celtic porto uh, yeah, yeah exactly then it was a porto versus monaco Porto won it with a clean sheet, and so on, so on. Mourinho has won every final with a clean sheet. Yeah. So Sevilla should be worried of that, but of course, they are uh, on a hype now. Um, Mendilibar rotated many players ahead of the final. I know that Sevilla will have a good representation of fans in there. 13,000, I believe, that they will travel to Budapest. And, um, you know, there are reasons to believe that Sevilla can make it. I think their defense is not very reliable. But on the other hand, when they attack, uh, they are vibrant. Um, they've got many players who can actually um, threaten you from different positions. And Nesiri is a master inside the box. Then Suso, Lucas Ocampos, even Lamela from outside the box. Rakitic with the long-range uh, powerful shot as well. He can... He can inflict pain to you, so I think that the, the final is quite contested, but I envisage a, a scenario that I really don't want to see. I mean, I, I, I'm having nightmares about this, which is Roma scoring first and then doing what they did to Bayer Leverkusen. <laughs> this, because I know that Mourinho, I know how Mourinho performs in finals. Right. I don't know how Mendilibar performs in finals, because this is his first ever big final. So Ooh. I want to see how daring he is, because if he's going to speculate like Roma, he's going to lose this final because Mourinho knows how to do this better. So I really hope that Sevilla doesn't speculate too much and they go um, for it and they attack Roma because I think that Roma can be vulnerable as well. James, you're saying it's a farewell tour. Uh, where is he going and who's going to follow? Paris Saint-Germain, that job will be coming up. There's Luis Campos, the technical director there, who Jose has a long-standing relationship with, although from what I can gather, there hasn't been any contact. Uh, in that regard it won't be an international job even though Brazil is coming up and well, still it's been vacant ever since the World Cup and I think there was some expectation that Ancelotti would take that job which would free up Real Madrid 
and you know Florentino Perez has hired Zidane twice, hired Ancelotti twice. Why wouldn't he hire Mourinho twice? So I think he's done enough to bounce back to what would be called a quote-unquote elite uh, job, um, at least at clubs where people know him. So in that sense, yeah, Paris Saint-Germain and, and Madrid. Um, but, you know, it, it remains to be seen in terms of who would be following him out. This is the thing with Roma. They have a very strict financial fair play, not penalty imposed on them, but settlement agreement, which means they're going to have to sell players. However, if they win the Europa League, they'll get into the Champions League. They'll have Champions League revenue for the first time in five years or so. Um, and that will help. But Mourinho wants a, a winning project, by which I think he means a team that can compete for titles. The interesting thing is that nobody anticipated Napoli would win the league in Serie A this year. And there have been four different winners in four years. Yeah, so why can't Roma um, win it next year? Um, you know, I think that's that's a consideration. But yeah, in terms of who's leaving, I mean, this financial fair play settlement agreement, it's there for two reasons. One, because the sporting director of Sevilla blew it when he was at Roma, Monchi. He admitted that. Yeah. He said, it's 95% my fault what happened at Roma. Yeah. And the other is that in Jose's first season, the club spent 126 million without selling anyone, really. And as much as he keeps saying at this moment that I've got to the Europa League final after only spending seven million this season, he conveniently kind of forgets all the money that they invested in year one. Um, so it makes it actually pretty difficult for Roma to go out in the transfer market this summer and improve on what they've got. Um, so, so yeah, I think, you know, if you're looking at, really good players that they've got who they might be able to sell. I mean, they would have to probably consider selling Tammy Abraham, you know, um, because Tammy is a player who's English, would have a homegrown value to a Premier League club, and they, they could make some money from him because everybody else has been there for years. You know, your Smaldini's, your Rui Patricio's, you know, getting on. Um, you know, in terms of young players, they're young Roman Italians, really, that are coming through, so... Mm. There's not much they can really work with in terms of selling players. All right. We'll talk more about Sevilla very, very shortly. But next up, let's catch up on another Italian, well, a couple of other Italian Euro finalists. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Fiorentina beat Roma on Saturday. They have a Euro final of their own against West Ham in just over a week's time. Last Wednesday, meanwhile, they were involved in a cup final of the Coppa Italia, where they got beaten by Inter, who've continued their excellent build-up to their Champions League clash with Man City by winning the Coppa Italia. A 2-1 victory there. Both goals by Lautaro Martinez. He's now on 11 in his last 12 matches. He scored again at the weekend as Inter continued their run by downing Atalanta 3-2. A spectacular game, James. Yeah, it was pretty much over. It felt over within the first five minutes because Inter scored twice, scored some beautiful goals as well. I think uh, some of their build-up play, uh, the collective was you know, really good. You, know, you saw that on the first goal. Bastoni passed straight into Lukaku holds it up, lays it off for Lautaro, gets the 1-2, all of a sudden through on goal, brilliant. Also, the, the third goal was a magnificent bit of play from Lukaku. Again, sort of pins his man around the halfway line, turns, through ball to Brozovic, takes on the goalkeeper and just squares it for a tap-in for Lautaro. So Inter is playing as well as they have all season. They, is it well enough to challenge, do you think? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, I think the notion that this team will get beaten 3 or 4 nil mm. is just kind of classic little England uh, arrogance, you know, I think in terms of it's a group of players that have won everything apart from the Champions League, you know. I mean, they've they've won the league, they've won the cup twice, they've won the Super Cup, they've been to a Europa League final, they lost to a Sevilla side that was coached by Unai Emery, fine. But it's a group of players uh, Lopetegui. That, Lopetegui, yeah. okay. And... Are they... Are they Milan to Man City's Barcelona dream team? <laughs> well, I mean, in order to work that perfect parallel, James, they would need to have... Uh, well, I mean, you could say that they are missing... Because they missed... Was it Berezi in Costa Curta yeah, that night? So, I, I mean, it. Inter are kind of missing Skriniar because they've just... He's, he's decided to go to Paris Saint-Germain. Right. And Okay, but let's not... Yeah, <laughs> The, the point is that there'd be another Italian side who they have an itch, like a Savicevic who mm. could, um, you know, score a worldie of a goal, like yeah. Brozovic. Farretta. Mm. Yeah. Um, but look, I, you know, I think this is going to be a, a more balanced game. I, I, City will still be the favourites, but I think that's an issue for City because everyone, because we, we've witnessed it over the last 10 days, everybody expects City to win. Everyone thinks this is the most one sided final for a long, long time. Mm. And Inter can go into this. They'll, of course, want to win. They'll want to make history. But they know that even people within their, country, their own country and their own city don't expect them to win in the way that everybody does for City. So the pressure's all on, on, on Pep Guardiola and his players. And it's whether they can perform uh, with that pressure on them. Because I think the, other th the, the really interesting thing from Inzaghi's record in finals is that he's a great cup specialist but his teams have gone behind in three of their last three finals and they've come back to win all of them and so the idea that even if City take the lead after 10 or 15 minutes or whatever I don't think it'll phase Inter Inter will stay in the game and they know that they can come back because they've done it 
in cup finals. Not against a team like City, of City's caliber, but there's a lot of experience in this inter-team, which I think needs respecting. I'm not just making the case for the sake of making the case, mm -hmm. even though I think that is my job for various outlets and broadcasters over the next 10 days. Right. But, um, you genuinely feel. And, uh, well, yeah. We, we, you we'll will see. tell them, don't... Come si dice? Ah. ah, non dire gatto se non ce l'hai nel sacco. Sì, Indeed. Sì. Yeah. <laughs> Now, uh, what is in the sack in uh, Syria? Well, Milan have got a top four spot. That was wrapped up Sunday night with a not 100% thrilling 1-0 win over a Juventus side who looks like a pretty much... I wouldn't say thrown in the towel, but a little bit, yeah. After oh, Allegri admitted it. Oh, did he? He did. He said our season finished in Seville. Right. Okay, because as regards City, yeah, the feeling is that whatever they do, there'll be a punishment to stop them making top four. Yeah, mm. like whack-a-mole. Every time they put their head up and think they're, they're in the top four, right. someone just whacks them down. This follows last Monday's points penalty Uh, the rewarding of a points penalty slightly reduced from the original 15 points, 10 points, but enough to uh, mean that the defeat on Sunday ended their hopes of making the Champions League, even if UEFA let them back in. And then there's still that other court case, or there's still that other disciplinary procedure, which yeah. is coming up over the salaries in June. And you know how they get points penalties, which are then suspended, and then they get them given back. Mm. It kind of feels like this is what's happening in the transfer market as well, where you know they gave. Artur, Weston McKenney, and Dennis Zakaria away and thought that they were selling those players and now they're coming straight back to them. Yeah. Which, uh, <laughs> you know. Hope they didn't do the accounts of that milk. <laughs> uh, right, okay. Uh, but anyway, Milan back in the top four. A last relegation place we mentioned uh, can go to a playout, but uh, Cremonese definitely going down alongside Sampdoria. Massive demonstrations by the Sampdoria fans uh, in the days leading up to uh, this weekend's Uh, game they were about to be bought by Andrea Radrizzani of Leeds fame, uh, fame. with, with notoriety some, with notoriety with or infamy with uh, with backing from the Qataris but that deal is apparently now hit some problems James what's going on yeah buying Samp is very complicated and that has manifested itself <coughs> in different ways over the last three four years remember Gianluca Vialli The late Gianluca Vialli tried to buy the club with some people who have gone in to form that eagle fund that has Palace and Lyon and that sort of thing. And um, and basically, Samp, it's one thing, as Rajutani found, to have a deal with the banks to pay off the club's debts and to inject some fresh money into the club to get them through the next month, the next two months. It's another thing to have an agreement with the current owner, disgraced owner of Sampdoria, Massimo Ferrero, who was arrested, what, 18 months ago um, and then let out. But he ultimately is still in control of the club. The club is in a trust as well, which someone representing him looks after. And so you have to align essentially two or three parties in order to, to take over Samp. And so uh, Rajutani had the agreement with the banks. There's another guy, Alessandro Banaba who has a fund which owns Lille. Um, he had an agreement with another <laughs> aspect of the things that you have to get done in order to buy Samp. The problem is Massimo Ferrero. And, um, you know, ultimately uh, he needs to he needs to just let go and allow Samp 
to survive because Rajitsani's deal and also Banabaz would allow them to go into Serie B next season rather than go insolvent and have to start at the bottom of the football pyramid. So, you know, this is why Samp ultras and Samp fans in general are just, they never want to see Massimo Ferreira near their club ever again. Fair enough. Very good. Alvaro, next up, let's finish off with a round of Spanish news. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Sports Podcast Awards Soccer Podcast of the Year. Cuidado, cuidado, eh? Bueno. Aprovecha la oportunidad y sí como titular que le brinda Xavi. Otra gran triangulación del Barça. Balón dentro para que tire la pared de primeras Lewandowski. Muy buena, eh? Alvaro, lots of things to talk about from Spain. Uh, for a start, there's Barcelona who extended their lead at the top of the table to 11 points with their 3-0 win over Mallorca at the Camp Nou and then said goodbye to the place. For how long? Uh, they said goodbye to Jordi Alba and to Sergio Busquets. Right, yeah. And, um, you know, the legends of Barcelona, Sergio Busquets has been the... It was Pep Guardiola who gave him the chance to play in that position that he has held for 15 years now. Mm, and Guardiola maybe didn't have to because Yaya Ture was over there at Barcelona mm. and still Guardiola believed in him and uh, from the very first uh, training session everyone, Lionel Messi included uh, was telling Guardiola this guy has to stay here uh, Jordi Alba is a different story uh, he is a Barcelona Academy player but he had to leave to Valencia he won the Euro with Spain in 2012 he came back to Barcelona and he won one championship with them and his combinations with uh, Leo Messi uh, have been uh, iconic uh, so many goals in Barcelona have been scored uh, with the combination of Messi for Alba or Alba for Messi and uh, you know uh, Barcelona has scored many goals like this two legends are living but they are going to by leaving by departing they are going to alleviate uh, Barcelona's uh, big salary mass right. because uh, Jordi Alba's wages uh, and I don't have this confirmed 100% but uh, there are some reports that uh, they were in the region of 35 million euro before tax what? yeah for Jordi Alba? for Jordi Alba yeah that, before that, tax? before tax still it's a lot of money it's a lot of money it's a lot of money yeah 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 uh, but as I said before this is 95%, all right. Uh, there is a okay. 5% of uncertainty about that. But yeah, uh, Busquets and Jordi Alba living, obviously, are going to help Barcelona mm -hmm. to register Gavi as the first team player uh, to extend Araujo's contract. And, uh, you know, Ansu Fati is going to a couple of goals as well in the game. It's something that uh, we shouldn't forget because Ansu Fati, obviously, is one of those players that if Barcelona want to sign a big player, they could have um, a good reception in the market and could be sold for a decent amount of money. Very nice. But the Camp Nou then, which is going to be redeveloped, and yeah. they are, so from next season they're going to be playing where? At Montjuic? They are going to be playing at Montjuic. Yeah, Montjuic. Okay. Yeah. And how long, how long before they're back at uh, the Camp Nou? Uh, well, it should be on paper a year, I believe. This could be taking longer. Right. Uh, it's still to, to be seen whether many season ticket holders will... Uh, renew their season tickets for the next season because, you know, the location is totally different. Um, this is going to change, uh, obviously, many dynamics in the club at Barcelona, uh, less fans, uh, the Camp Nou. Mm. This season has had a really good atten attendance as well. Uh, 
mean, an average of 85 to 87,000 per game probably. And next season, they are going to play in a smaller ground. But yeah, this had to be done because you remember last year, we were talking about Barcelona yeah. and how uh, even the electrics of the Camp Nou uh, were a little bit faulty sometimes and all that. So uh, there were some mice and um, rodents spotted at the roof of the Camp Nou as okay. well last season. So, you know, th there are some works that have to be done. Real Madrid did them already and uh, the next season they are going to unveil uh, futuristic ground and Barcelona has to obviously uh, do a remodelation and renovation of their ground too. What's going to be futuristic about the Bernabeu? Uh, it's just uh, the looks of it. Mm. Uh, I think that um, I'm not super... Are they taking that tarp away that's at one end? Uh, they, they will remove it, well, obviously, okay, because they are doing yeah. the works there, but from outside, it's going to look different as well. Okay. It's, going to look, it's going to look very nice, the Real Madrid ground, and I, I cannot wait to... I cannot wait to see it, really. And, you know, uh, I think that one of the dreams of uh, Florentino Perez was unveiling the new Santiago Bernabeu with Kylian Mbappé in the team. Mm. But uh, it doesn't look like Mbappé is going to be there, but there are young players that uh, I've got uh, a lot of uh, confidence on for the next season, and one of them is Rodrigo. Right. He, well, he, you were mentioning before we came in. The, uh, his performance against Sevilla at the weekend. Yeah, uh, Rodrigo is a funny player and a very peculiar one because he became at some point the youngest scorer uh, for a Brazilian player in the Copa Libertadores. He scored at the age of 17 or 18 a hat-trick in the Champions League. And in fact, his numbers in the Champions League, scoring numbers, and in La Liga are pretty much the same. I think he has scored one more goal in La Liga than in the Champions League. Because he doesn't play worse or he doesn't win if the game is uh, more difficult or uh, the bigger the scenario, the more he races. This time, uh, he scored two beautiful goals. One, uh, he scored a beautiful goal in Sevilla. Uh, I think that the way he managed to resolve the situation in the box was very special. He's very good in tiny spaces. And some of my favorite goals in La Liga this season uh, have been scored by Rodrigo. Uh, he scored a lovely one against Mallorca, in the cup against Cacereño, another one against Atletico de Madrid using just three toes basically he put the ball uh, far away from Oblak to or Gerbic I don't remember who was the goalkeeper that day for Atletico but he's got these solutions inside the box that resemble of Romario a little bit in the mm. sense that in a, a square meter he's capable of leaving an opponent behind and just trigger the shot very quickly he's a very interesting player obviously he doesn't have uh, the engine of Vinicius but he is more subtle Okay. Quick word on his Real Madrid teammate Vinicius, who we uh, discussed extensively, or at least the problems that he's been having uh, with uh, racism from the crowds in in La Liga. Uh, some things that have come come out from that in the last week yeah. or so. First of all, that there seems to be a widespread feeling in among the Spanish public and, and certainly among the players as well that this is being. Uh, there's been too much emphasis, too much interest placed on this story that this is just one of those things. And the second thing is that there does seem to be a mechanism for the Spanish authorities to punish clubs like yeah. Valencia because Valencia actually had part of their ground closed this weekend. By the Spanish FA. By the Spanish so, FA, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was the way. Uh, as I said last week, uh, I didn't want to get too stubborn about that, but mm. uh, right now La Liga apparently is asking for more competences to be able to do more okay. and to sanction uh, uh, whenever a racist episode happens again. But um, La Liga, obviously, last week raised uh, what happened. They reported about it. And the um, anti-violence committee, I believe, of the Spanish FA was the one that closed the Mario Kempes stand at okay. Mestalla. In fact, this weekend, uh, that stand at Mestalla was closed in the game against Espanol. But there was something that didn't like at all. Uh, it's the fact that um, La Liga put a banner in that stand, uh, which was something like... Uh, 
a message against racism, mm -hmm. but Valencia, and their fans, but obviously Valencia, the club allowed this to happen, put another banner next to it, saying... Yes, but... I'm going to read literally, that's why I took a, mm. a pause. Respect for our fans, Amunt Valencia. Amunt Valencia means come on Valencia. Right. But you know, I think that that message shouldn't be together with the other one because the message that should be prevailing after what happened last weekend right. is uh, La Liga's message uh, in that banner that was in the Mario Kempes stand saying a message against racism. I don't understand why Valencia fans wanted to have a say because they feel aggravated because they don't like that the stand was closed. Right. But, uh, but the, the Catalan press, meanwhile, seemed to be going very much on the idea that this is a Real Madrid campaign designed to, in some way, uh, foster some favor for for them uh, that uh, I, there were various headlines after mm. the Valencia incident that that this is all part of Real Madrid trying to create a narrative whereby Vinicius should be given more leeway by referees if that is the case which is some journalists uh, have raised this and uh, there was a journalist from Valencia in a local television as well who was saying that uh, this only happened because it is Real Madrid right you know uh, this is very wrong, obviously, mm. because uh, if uh, the Vinicius, uh, the abuse that he got, uh, serves or works or um, is useful for uh, to raise some awareness, so be it. And it doesn't matter that it is Real Madrid. Of course, Real Madrid have done the right thing, in my opinion, because they defended their own player. Mm. Um, another thing is that there is a, an underground battle between La Liga and Real Madrid. And that is unquestionable because, uh, as I said uh, last week, Real Madrid, sorry, La Liga have raised like uh, or have filed nine reports for Vinicius uh, having uh, racial abuse, racist abuse, and La Liga has enjoined uh, as a joint claimant in any of them. However, Real Madrid last week, when La Liga raised this to a provincial court in Valencia, Real Madrid did something different. They found another alleyway and they raised this case of racism to a different court in okay. Madrid. So is that what brought about the... the not uh, necessarily, but what, I, what I'm saying here is that uh, La Liga and Real Madrid, they are, uh, you know, opposing institutions right now. Mm. Uh, they are adversaries, they are rivals right now. And uh, maybe that's why this has happened. But as I said uh, before, if a message can be learned from mm -hmm. uh, what happened um, the last week, well, that's going to be... I guess that uh, positive for the future. Absolutely. All right. Well, it does seem like there's some movement going on there. In football terms, Valencia, meantime, that's one of the issues they're facing. They are a part of that sex debt that you mentioned uh, back at the start of the show, separated by just two points out of the final weekend, all of them threatened by the drop. Hmm. And one of them has gone down already. We knew that Elche was already relegated. Yeah. Back in April, Espanol is going down as well. Uh -huh. And Espanol feels very, very, very aggravated uh, by what happened against Valencia. Because in that game, a goal was uh, cancelled. Um, there was, a, in the eyes of the referee, a fault um, of Cesar Montes, a player from Espanol, on Mamar Dasvili, uh, the goalkeeper of Valencia. It was like a very clean jump uh, with uh, an outfield player and a goalkeeper. The outfield player got the best of it. And um, the referee just called it off the second the ball entered the net. 
and there was no VAR revision for that action. But if you see or if you look at the replay of that action, there was no actual fault of the Espanol player on Valencia goalkeeper. That goal should have gone to the scoreline. And I think that the Espanol should have won that game. They didn't because Valencia then, in the last minutes of the game, they managed to get the equalizer. And the Espanol is down in the second division, which is uh, something that they have done, unfortunately, uh, twice in the last three years because they went down in uh, 2020 and they are going down again in 2023 after they earned promotion in 2021. Okay. Valencia could yet join them. We'll find out on the final weekend when we'll also wrap things up in Syria and uh, see about Uzer and Nantes and all that kind of thing. Many, many thanks though for today because that brings us to the end of today's show. Thursday, we'll be back with the Tuli Football Show rounding up what happens in Budapest. And no doubt other excitements too, looking ahead to that FA Cup final. For now, many, many thanks to Alvaro, to Rafa, to James, to Julian Laurence, and producer Charlie, and you listener. Catch up with you soon. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.